the salmon farming industry, it's 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 standard, you know, that about 25% of the fish die in the in the production process, you know, before they reach a, a size ready for harvest. And if you put that in perspective with just let's keep talking about cattle, you know, there's a farmer and and one out of every four cows just dies because it has horrible open wounds and all that, you know, like you can imagine what would happen. Like they would they would be closed down immediately. Immediately. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. This week we wanted to find out about the Salmon Summit that was held recently in Iceland. It's an annual get-together of NGOs, scientists, policymakers, researchers and scientists run by the North Atlantic Salmon Fund to discuss the current state of salmon stocks and possible solutions to help the future of the fish. So what did they discuss and what of note came out of the summit? We speak to Elvar Friedrichsen, NASF's program director in Iceland, to find out more. And Tom, before we hear from Elvar, there were some eye-opening insights he gave us, especially in relation to fish farming in Iceland. Commander, yeah, huge eye-opener to hear uh, Elvar chatting, and um, kind of a bit surprised because you touched on it during the interview and I hadn't thought of it. I mean, uh, we all look upon Iceland here, the rest of Europe, kind of like with a um, bit of envy after what they did with their previous crash. <laughs> what they did to the politicians that were in charge. So you imagine they're very much um, uh, driven by the people themselves, and and they seem to be from talking to them. But it's it's almost as if it's caught up in them unawares, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. So just um, and you'll hear this from Elvar. He gets into it. Um, it's gone from three thousand tons to forty five thousand tons in the last five or six years. That's one. Uh, I was trying to one thousand five hundred percent. Yeah, that's what in, he said. In half a decade. In half a and, decade. And, and then when he touches on the ratio of uh, headage of farm fish to, to the wild fish. <laughs> wow. So, you know, yeah, it's, you, you see the danger there, you know? Yeah, you, you would worry. And, and I think it's interesting he's saying, you know, the, the people in Iceland are starting to kind of, you know, become aware and and kind of go, hold on a sec, what's going on? Um, but you'd wonder, it's, you know, you'd hope it's not too late. The horse hasn't bolted. like. Yeah, but it's true. But like the good thing about it as well, and we, and we discuss it in there, I mean, and we've said this before. It's 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 not anti. It's not anti actual farming. It's the practices, and that you know. We're, we, I know I myself and you. You always touch on. We want something sustainable. We realise that you know we we do need this to be done. We've got to feed people, and it was very interesting to hear touch on on, on some of the the. I won't say alternative, but the yeah, well the alternative methods, uh, which are a lot more sustainable. On, 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 rearing, um, on rearing fish. Yeah, and this was one of the main things because when I saw the salmon summit that was taking place and was one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to somebody about it was the fact that they had a panel discussion on uh, the alternatives um, or, yeah. you know, sustainable um, fish farming, uh, for want of a better phrase. And that was an, an Elvar touch though because there are these companies out there that are doing mm. this. Um, they're not on a mass commercial scale. And yes, they are a bit more expensive, but, but it was really interesting to hear the technology does exist. It came down to, I think, was with two words to be repeated. One is the will, and yeah. two is the money. Money. You know, um, and money, yeah. I, if, the will, no, if the will was there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If the will was there, it could, it, it could happen. So I think that's it's kind of what you feel so frustrated about. And I think maybe when people listen to it as well. And, you, you know, sometimes if you think about all these things, you just go to, ugh. So, um, so you got to go and get out fishing. So that's, that's what we say. Let's not forget what we're on about here. So, um, and how is, have you been out yourself? Well, yeah, it's, it's gone, it's gone very tough here. 
It actually has. Uh, we're in that period after the duck fly, and temperatures plummeted. So there's no real fly at the moment. Uh, temperature today uh, was about six or seven degrees. It reached a lofty height of seven degrees, and didn't stop raining all day. So yeah, no, it's look need a bit of warmth, need a bit of nature to get the next fly hatch on, which is the olives, and later on for the camp toe. So. Yeah, it's tough. And at what the was the duck fly like for you, Tom? What was the duck fly like? Very patchy. A couple of nice days, best way of putting it. I think what happened as well is, it's funny. It, it probably hatched at around the same time as normal. Uh, you know that that couple of days after Paddy's Day it starts, and that coincided with storms and part of the the period where we had the heaviest rainfall in Ireland ever recorded for March, uh, where the lake here uh, down at my place rose in 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 old money about two foot in in 10 days oh. you know so uh, is that it, as bad I, as you've I, seen it like in terms of uh, i've never seen rise, it rise like... as fast i've never seen it rise as fast um it was, it was just amazing it really was so yeah that that looked that killed it but then it settled off a bit near the end of march and we did get a couple of nice days which is great really good but um look that's that's the problem with early season fishing we've mentioned it here before uh a couple of times you know you want to be prepared you really do. What about you? Any fishing? Well, I did a bit of mullet on the fly, would you believe? Which was my first time doing it. I'm one of these, right? I'm into all different things. Like when I played sport when I was younger, I played literally about half a dozen different sports, right? I was never mm. one. I could never just focus in on one. A bit of a kind of jack of all trades, master none. <laughs> yeah. And it's a bit like it's a bit like that with fishing. I'm just fascinated by all different aspects of it. Mm. But the certain species I find so the more when I went fishing for the mullet on the fly. It just kind of, I don't know, just awoke something in me that I went, oh, I could get into this. Wow, oh, yeah. This is, and it's a really interesting tactic. So we were feeding them bread, right? So you're <laughs> feeding them bread. Chumming. Right, it's a bit like horse fishing. Yeah, you're yeah. pre-baiting this, the swim. Like, <laughs> like, right, so yeah. You're, but what you're, what you're doing is you're seeing if they're interested in coming up to feed. Mm. And when they are, then you go, right, there's the opportunity. And then you throw the fly in amongst them right and so like at one stage i was pretty much kind of crouched nearly behind a rock yeah um, to just try and kind of keep low and we were feeding them in and it was uh it was a flowing tide coming in it was about i think it was about an hour after high tide so it was it was flowing in and you could see them coming in like and they were just coming up to the surface um and i didn't i didn't catch any i had missed probably about half a dozen and my sheer incompetence my sheer yeah. it's about getting that timing right so i was i was either striking too early striking too late and um, but i'm confident now that it's just getting that timing i remember when i first started nymphing it was like you'd be missing lows of the time because you're seeing it go down and you have to and if you could just get that timing right at one stage I saw one, and, and they come, they approach different times, they'll approach it different ways, they'll attack it different ways, they'll very subtle sometimes, sometimes they'll attack it really aggressively. And he was coming in kind of side on to the fly, which was kind of ideal because I saw it all happening in slow motion. It was just coming up to the surface. I saw the mouth open. Class. And then I pulled the fly away. <laughs> I, st- Not I struck. Not class. Not class. <laughs> I just- oh, no. <laughs> Oh. Say people on the beach were looking at me going, what the hell is going on? But it was one of those things where I kind of, A, I learned so much. B, I just seen the fish, seen them attack it. I was just like, right, that's it. I'm coming back down and 
two, three weeks and I'm having another go and I'm landing one of those bloody things and it's going to happen. <laughs> I sense it's become personal with you. You you want to get back there at them, don't you? I get, I get like that, you see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do I. So do I. Very much so. I'm with you totally on that. Yeah, I want to be back there and going, I'm nailing you. <laughs> I just, I can still see it. That night I was going to bed and I could still see the fly. And he was about a five pound mullet and he was coming side on and the mouth opens and all I had to do was wait half a second. I pulled it out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason that we go back for more. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's under my skin now. So, well, I tell you what. Let's get back to salmon fishing, <laughs> yeah. fish farming, and uh, more serious, more serious issues. Yeah. Um, and let's hear from Elvar Fridrikson now. And I first asked him to give us the background to the salmon summit itself. The reason that we hold the salmon summit is that we recognize, you know, through our international networks, that that there are NGOs and conservationists all over the world trying to accomplish the same goal, fighting the same fight um, and having the same problems, you know? So this is a great venue for, for uh, NGOs and, you know, stakeholders or wh- whoever is interested really to, to get together and, and, and create sort of a think tank and, and, and see what's out there and, and how, how they can help each other. Uh, so that was, that, that's, that's the main reason that we, that we uh, host the Salmon Summit and, and this year it was a, I mean, it was a great success. We had a 120 participants. Uh, it was held in in um, in Reykjavik uh, at the Grand Hotel, and it was uh, a full two day conference um, with everything to do with salmon. And just to give people, and we will um, get into a bit more detail about this, but just to give people the idea of some of the kind of discussions, scientific updates, the latest updates on wild salmon, regulatory updates, the updates and regulations around the world affecting wild salmon populations. Um, There was a discussion on wild salmon, open net pen farming in Iceland, another one on alternatives to open net pen salmon farming, um, one on high seas buyouts, international regulatory measures, and then river level advocacy. So there was plenty to get through. Yes. Maybe we might just start with, take us through what is uh, the situation in Iceland uh, when it comes to uh, salmon farming. Until very recently, Iceland has been, you know, one of the very few remaining um, places where, where the salmon are still abundant. You know, salmon are still doing good. Uh, there are, you know, there's a very small population here and, and, and most of the rivers have been for <clears throat> many, many years now in, in really good shape. Uh, there are, of course, <clears throat> natural ups and downs, um, but we, we're, we're starting to see in some rivers now, you know, uh, sharper decline, which which is very familiar when you look at the trends in other countries. Um, and and at the same time that this is happening, uh, this, this this is part of the reason, but it's also happening at the same time, which causes a lot of concern for the future, is that there is a massive invasion of open net pen uh, salmon farming companies. Now, what they do usually is that they target areas that have been uh, starved for employment for quite some time um, with, with uh, declining populations and, and they come in and, and promise a lot of jobs and so on. And, and you know, a lot of local politicians are willing to look the other way when it comes to the environmental um, uh, effects of the industry because they are promising something, you know, like jobs and money. (laughs) 
so this, you know, this is the third time in Iceland where 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 this industry has start uh, tried to start up, right? The first two times way back, you know, that was uh, Icelanders that that did not really have the know-how and, and did not have the immense capital that these companies have. And then about 10 years ago, <clears throat> you know, the legislations in Iceland and the regulations about fish farming are very underdeveloped and, and you know, there was no industry. So, so why would there be a robust uh, regulatory framework? Uh, and that's something that the industry can take advantage of. And they were able to create this environment where they could get a hold of, of, of licenses, you know, for tens of thousands of tons um, without really having to pay for it and without really doing all that much. And therefore, they create this you know, immense value in the stock market because they have these licenses, right? So you, you have this dilemma here where you have a lot of financial power fighting and using a lot of its political clout. And in this third attempt, it worked because it was mainly backed by Norwegian capital that had the know-how uh, and the deep pockets. Uh, so all the major salmon farming companies in Iceland are owned by the Norwegian mega companies that own the industry in the rest of the world. And they have now, you know, they're, they're now farming close to 50,000 tons of, um, of salmon in, in Iceland. And this is particularly alarming because, you know, we know that this is the biggest threat to wild salmon. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You know, the scientific community agrees on that. Um, the fact is that they use Norwegian salmon in the farms here. So they're not even using Icelandic salmon. So, so there's an increased risk for genetic pollution. And, and just to put it into perspective, you know, even though Iceland's salmon populations are still relatively healthy, it's only about 50,000, 60,000 individuals in those wild stocks. If you look at the net pens surrounding Iceland today, you have about 21 million farmed Norwegian salmon in our fjords. So the odds are stacked against the, the wild fish. I, I don't even know where yeah. to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, ever I that I'm absolutely flummoxed on hearing that. Yeah, that is that is a shocking. You do not hear this, like sure you don't. Tell no, like you're talking fifty to sixty thousand native Icelandic salmon, roughly. Yeah, and the discrepancy to twenty-one million Norwegian farm salmon. It's it's insane. It's it's and, and and they plan to double this. But can I ask you? Um, I, I, I have so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> ask. Um, you said this was the third attempt that they managed to kind of establish. When were they able to do that? Because the reason why I'm asking that is like, you know, our knowledge and understanding of the damage to wild salmon is not exactly, you know, last year. Yeah. So how were they still at the third attempt, still able to push this and get through it? And and just before that is, Tom, it, it's really interesting. We we um, covered uh, West Coast of Scotland. Um, yeah. And it's very similar what you said, where they targeted local areas, poor local areas, underdeveloped, and targeting each of those little areas is how they kind of get in. And it's amazing. Same tactics then, like you said, being being done at Iceland. Um, yeah. Yeah, they come in as the great savior. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. and 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 it's it's hard for a you know municipal politician trying to protect uh, both his or her votes, but also his constituents, um, to 
you know, just to, to ignore that. And, and, um, and the thing is as well, that uh, when they, when they really started to amp up their, their uh, attempts here, they, they hired the, <laughs> so the speaker of the house in parliament, he left his job in parliament and went straight to being head lobbyist for the fish farming industry. Um, <laughs> Again, and, uh, sure and, and a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, and a lot of sort of hires in, in a similar fashion, right? So you, you, you use the capital and you use the, you know, you, you use the capital to, to get the political influence and you sink, you sink your claws into these communities that, that, that need jobs, you know, that want jobs mm-hmm. and want prosperity. You sink your claws into them. And you have the local politicians, and then you have the Speaker of the House in Parliament, which knows, you know, all the key players to accomplish pretty much anything, right? But how much actual economic benefit are you seeing in the local areas? Because it's Norwegian salmon they're using. More likely, the fish has just been, or doesn't even land. We were saying, we were hearing in Scotland, a lot of times it doesn't even be, you know, land on shore. Like, you know what I mean? It's literally processed, shipped out. Um, So, like, what economic advantages are you actually seeing to the Icelandic economy, like? So far, I would say, you know, looking at the, the big picture, all of Iceland's economy, it's, it's, it's fairly little. And the thing is, you have to keep in mind, you know, that, that they, the word they, they really like to use is, you know, export value, right? So they're creating export value. But, you know, they, th- these are companies that pay billions in dividends, but they've never paid income tax in Iceland, you know, because, you know, that... That's the way the system is set up. You can do that, you know, because you're you're investing so much and and all that, and you know. I, but I'm 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 not naive. I mean, I, I, they have created jobs, and I realize that there is economic value to this. You know, otherwise, if there was no economic value, there would be no business, right? But with all the knowledge that we have, you know, mm. and 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 we'll get to this later. Like you said, you know, with all the alternatives and and all the sort of smart way of doing things that are available. This is the cheapest, dirtiest way to farm salmon. And if the system is set up so it incentivizes this kind of uh, operation, then that's what they'll do. You know, cheapest, cheapest is the key word there, isn't it? Exactly. I always thought Icelander, Icelandic people were enlightened <laughs> uh, when it comes to, you know, and thinking back to kind of, you know, in, you know, you think maybe environmental policies or, you know, even think back to kind of with the banking crash in terms of the way, you know, the Icelandic mm. people approached the solution yeah. of it. Is there not an outcry or what's the kind of general consensus in Iceland towards this? There is actually. Um, and, you know, we, we, we've been, we and, and, and other, you know, NGOs that we work a lot with here, um, we have been fighting this industry very hard, and a lot of our efforts today, today, today go into um, educating people about you know what what the real story is here, and and you know there's there's not a lack of content to share, you know, um, and I think um, so. What what, what we've done, and, and th- this is this is the benefit of of having a small population, right? What we can do fairly easily is we can. Um, we can do nationwide surveys, right? I mean, of course, you're not going to ask everybody in Iceland, but you can get st- uh, statistically significant samples fairly easily here to get a sense of what the people are thinking. And what we've seen in the last uh, two years is that 
people who are negative or opposed to open net pan aquaculture has gone from about 33% up to 61%. So the majority of the Icelandic population doesn't want this industry. You wonder then when will it get to the tipping point for politicians to actually kind of go, oh, you know, we're, we're swimming against the tide here. We better watch our backs. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where the, that's where the municipal level and the political cloud comes in. You know, you know, if, 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 if the, if the majority of the, the, the country doesn't want this, that's one thing, but then you have the, the local governments, the municipal governments saying like, Hey, you know, this is, this is our area. You know, like we, we don't care what the rest of the country thinks, but the thing is that it's not a, it's not a local problem, right? This is, this could damage the wild salmon stocks of the entire country and ecosystems in the entire country. Um, but I think we're getting, we're getting much closer to that tipping point. I mean, you, you mentioned there, Elvar, can I just jot in there? Uh, you mentioned different areas. Are the, is the aquaculture based in one particular area of Iceland or is it spread around the whole island? No, so it's it, it's only in the west fjords and in the east fjords of, of Iceland. So two ends of the uh, of the country. And I take it then, not knowing too well, these will be, let's say, the uh, less populated areas with uh, less employment. Yes, and and these are areas where the where the towns were entirely dependent on commercial fishing. Uh, and then when the quota system was privatized, um, you know, way back then. Some of those uh, commercial fishing companies said, oh, you know what, we're going to sell our quota. We're going to move out here, which kind of decimated employment for an entire community. You know, so there, you know, that that happened. Uh, and then these communities have been left to kind of rebuild very slowly. And then comes the the knight in shining armor, promising all the jobs. And am I right in saying they're not in areas of like angling tourism? I mean, they're not in the the the, you know, they're not in the area that have the most angling tourism, but there are there are wild salmon stocks in most rivers in Iceland, right? And and you have you have genetically unique salmon stocks that are very very close to open net pan salmon farming right now. We're already starting to see uh, signs of genetic introgression, and um, and the thing is, uh, you know, uh, f- from our standpoint. Whether a, 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 a river has 2,000 salmon in it or 50 salmon, you, you have no right to eliminate and make that stock extinct. You just you have no right to do that. Just my final question before I want to move on to the alternatives that was discussed. Yeah. Um, how much has it percentage-wise um, has uh, salmon farming increased, say, in the last 10, 15, 20 years in Iceland? Do you have a figure on that? Um, I, well, I'll give you the amount of tons. I, I don't have the okay. percentage, but uh, it's basically gone from from uh, from about three thousand uh, tons up to forty five thousand tons in a matter of five uh, five uh, was uh, six years. Oh, what about six years? Yeah. So that's fifteen fold. Like I said before, they were able to secure these licenses, you know, and these things take time. But then when they when they have the licenses. And they have all they need to operate, then you know, put as many salmon in there as you can. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of the attitude. And that is insane. That's fifteen hundred percent. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's there's um 
there's there's one thing it's I think it's good for everybody to keep in mind. There there are there are two kind of huge deciding factors when it comes to salmon farming in Iceland. Uh, first one being uh, what the, what is called the carrying capacity, right? So they it's basically a, a model that 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 estimates and calculates how uh, how much organic pressure each fjord can take, right? But its its scope is limited, right? It, it it's only thinking about that. And then there's a second factor, which is called uh, the genetic risk assessment, and that's another model that says, okay, you know, if we have X much salmon farming, then that has the possibility of of you know uh, X percentage of farmed salmon entering rivers and spawning with with wild salmon, uh, and they. <laughs> They they cap that at four percent, which I, I I can't understand. Like how 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 do you say that? Like four percent is acceptable. So one out of every twenty fish can be farmed. Like is that okay? And um, and how are you gonna you know when when a big escape occurs? You know, are you gonna stand by the estuary with a sign? You know, no no more farmed allowed. Like how are you gonna stop this? Um, and that caps the industry at one hundred and six thousand tons. So. What the industry is trying to do now, they're of course trying to lobby to, you know, vastly increase this. You know, four or fivefold is what they want. Um, but they are capped currently at one hundred and six thousand tons. One of the other discussions you had then was the alternatives, and yes. I think this is fascinating because you know I've you know we've spoken to Ken Whelan about this, and the world needs aquaculture, whether we like it or not. Um, the demand for it in terms of growing global populations. Um, there's a demand for it. So we need to try and figure out how to do this properly, yes. um, you know, not the way it's being done at the moment. And I was fascinated to find out that you actually had a really interesting discussion on that and you found that there was companies that are trying to offer a sustainable, environmentally sound way of um, having farm salmon. So you might just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we are we are um, NASF is a is a is a salmon conservation NGO, right? So so we're looking at at this, uh, you know, in terms of what is best for the for the wild salmon, um, and you know, it, it's 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 not our role to be advocates for any kind of industry, but the, but the idea was that you know there are people in Iceland now that are currently uh, reviewing the regulations on this industry and deciding where we want to go with this in the future. So we thought that this was a great opportunity to show them what's out there because, you know, what the open net pen uh, industry says is that, you know, that is the best way to farm salmon. They use the word sustainable, you know, every chance they get. I mean, that that word has kind of lost all meaning, unfortunately. Um, but we we were able to get a really interesting uh, group of panelists together Um Talking about different methods of farming uh, salmon on land in close, you know, completely closed systems. Uh, then we also had a representative from a company that does uh, closed containment in sea, so so pens that are closed. Um, and then we had uh, a representative from from Canada talking about creating a closed loop in terms of the feed. Um, and the idea, you know, one of the the biggest problems with the aquaculture industry is that it needs to source an incredible amount of protein to feed the salmon to make protein for humans, right? So you're taking cheap protein from uh, third world, uh, world countries, you're turning it into fish meal or fish oil, and then you're feeding it to uh, salmon, 
that is then sold as a luxury product that only a portion of the world can afford. And they say that they're solving the, the hunger problems of the world, you know, of a, of a growing overpopulated world, which, which is not true. <laughs> you know, most of the world can't afford uh, salmon. But um, so what, what was really interesting in, in, in this discussion is that there are people out there who are, you know, they, they, they agree with the assumption that, that the world is not going to just stop eating salmon. You know, there is a demand for it and, and it's a growing demand. So they're, they're creating these solutions that have no, in, no sort of interaction with the wild uh, counterpart, right? Uh, we had two Icelandic companies um, that are, are are starting up land-based farms, and they are using their unique sort of uh, geographical uh, location because they have, you know, endless amounts of of underground salt water that flows under the lava uh, in the south of Iceland. So you can drill down through the lava, you know, pump that up, and it's 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 a stable temperature. So, you know, it's a much, much better environment for the fish. Um, you know, it's not going down to freezing temperatures and the fish won't eat and all that. It's a stable temperature. It's a closed system. So there's no chance, zero chance of a salmon escaping. And there is zero chance of sea lice, which is another huge problem for the farming industry. Mm. Um, we had a company from, uh, from Canada uh, do a, a presentation as well. Uh, they're they're using a what's called a, a RAS system, which is a recirculating system. Uh, and and what was particularly interesting when we were listening to their presentation and another company from Canada is that they're working together to try to use organic waste from the communities in the area to feed to larvae that grow to full size in ten days, which the salmon love to eat. And then the salmon eat the larva. They, the salmon then create organic waste that you can then feed again to the larva. You know, it's a, so, yeah, it's a loop of it. Like that. It's a, it's a yeah. loop. So you're 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 solving it. So, so so the, the great thing about it, you know, like I said, you know, it, it's not our place to tell, uh, tell them what the best industry is or something. But but there are a lot of ideas out there, and and what these companies are trying to do. Is that they're trying to do so, do this in a way that does not harm the already fragile salmon stocks? And are they commercially viable solutions, or are they still just at the kind of R and D stage? Well, we are at the tipping point in in that area. You know, if if you if you follow this industry and this this discussion well, you for many years it's been oh, you know, this is a pipe dream. You know, mm-hmm. oh, they, they they could do this. You know, uh, for a for a tiny tiny proportion of of the uh, production. But now you're starting to see billions and billions of dollars in investment going into this. And people with money don't invest money unless they think they're going to make money, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I, I think this is, this is actually a feasible alternative. It is the, the, uh, probably the biggest problem is that it requires a lot of energy. Yeah, because that's one of the criticisms I've heard about these new technologies. Tell us, yeah, just maybe yeah. delve into that a little bit. What what you're doing is you're struck, you know, you're creating a completely controlled environment, and to do that, you have to have a lot of power to make sure that sure that everything is running as it should be running, twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year. The counterpart to that is open net pan salmon farming, where it's a floating 
circle in the ocean with a net hanging from it. And what goes into it goes down through the bottom and into the ocean. So there's no accountability there. Like you, you don't have to do anything because, you know, the ocean just takes it, you know, and then you're just polluting and polluting. Right. And if you're going to, if you, I mean, I guess like with any factory on land, with any big construction on land, it, it, it requires a lot of energy. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a specialist on that, but, but that is, that is one of the criticism that is very, very valid because, then it becomes uh, part of that discussion. You know, where are we getting our energy from, and how do we utilize it? A couple of things you hear from the big fish farm companies is cost and technology. Like, are we there yet? Where you know, if the will was there, that they could actually just move everything away from the ocean, put them onto land. I, I, I believe so, and I think I think you uh, what you said it was exactly right. If the will is there, you know, mm. it needs to be incentivized. You know, it needs to be. There, there needs to be a very clear direction that we are moving away from this this kind of farming that has done so much damage. You know, so there has to be a clear direction in that from from uh, whatever country you're you're talking about. You know, because this is obviously going to be something uh, that's that's going to you know pop up in a lot of countries. They they need to incentivize uh, more sustainable solutions, and they need to decide, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. We need to go in another direction. And, and I, I still have a lot of faith in the human spirit and the, and the human mind. You know, we, we, can, we can do everything we want if the will is there. Sometimes they need a stick, though. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes they need a stick. And it's, um, I mean, we, we mentioned something there earlier on about, you know, cheap. And, you know, cheap goes hand in hand with produ- producing things. And cheap means generally the whole system is run on profit let's be honest you know yeah. the whole system is run on profit you yes. know um and the incentives <laughs> to incentivize somebody uh to make less profit is kind of a hard thing to do right so there has to be there has to be something really i would say forceful or you know a big groundswell to make that happen you know it, absolutely. And, 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 you know, one way to do that is to say, if, you know, if you're going to farm in open net pens, we're going to make you pay for it because the polluter pays. Mm. Yep. But if you want to go green or if you want to do things so it does not harm the wild salmon, we might cut you some slack. What I can, and we've spoken about this before over on the show is, mm. and it's for me, it's the sheer hypocrisy of it, right? From governments and, um, one hand, they're talking about the environment, sustainability, you know, and especially when it comes to farming on land, yeah. right, in terms of emissions and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen uh, from a food quality perspective how much, uh, especially in Ireland, how much emphasis there is from farm to fork, that traceability, high quality regulations, if there's any kind of disease, any outbreak, it's shut down immediately. Reputation is huge when it comes to farming quality on land. Yeah. But yet we're not seeing any of that when it comes to farmed mm. uh, fish. And I, I just tear my hair out. Like I've made, well, I've made a conscious decision. And again, Tom, we've spoken about this before. Yeah. I've made a conscious decision at home with my family, my kids. I'm not going to buy any farmed fish at all, mm. um, because you see the pictures, you see the crap that that 
gets put into it. But yet you don't see the same campaigning from governments when it comes to that. And I just don't understand. Like, so on one hand, it's like, oh yeah, you know, traceability of beef, farm salmon. Ah, don't worry about it. You'd be grand. Yeah. If you saw, if, if you saw a picture of a beast, uh, sorry, um, uh, um, a beef, a beef cow or beef, beef cattle with yeah. open sores, like yes. what you can see on some of the farm salmon, there will be uproar here in yeah in Ireland. I know there would be because as we said, you know, on land we pride ourselves on high quality, high quality land based food. But um, you know, you you know, we you put those pictures up of you know, um, salmon with open sores and no skin and whatnot, and people don't seem to get too perturbed about it. I, I think uh, unfortunately salmon and 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 just fish in general they just they 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 people don't do not connect with them in the in the in the same way as they do with with cows for example mm. um unless unless they're anglers you know a lot then they connect very deeply with them uh, but then also what is what is you know a key element here is that this this is under the surface right so if you're driving in Scotland or Norway or Iceland or something you just see a circle in the ocean you know what's so terrible about that? You know you you don't you don't see what's happening down there unless you see it on you know photos or videos like you mentioned. But then when you start talking to people about this, they they realize um, the the hypocrisy of this yeah. uh, because you know the salmon farming industry it's 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 standard it's 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 standard that they you know that about twenty five percent of the fish uh die in the in the production process you know before they reach a, a size ready for harvest um and and if you put that in perspective with just let's keep talking about cattle you know there's a farmer and and one out of every four cows just dies because it has horrible open wounds and all that you know like you can imagine what would happen like they would they would be closed down immediately immediately I just don't get it. I really don't, you know, and, and but from a governmental perspective as well. And I like and in fairness, in Ireland, the only thing that gets the Irish government when it comes to this stuff is reputation, international reputation. Because if suddenly Irish beef something happens and if access to international markets closes, they're on top of like nothing else. Yeah. And again, it comes back to that word will. Yes. And money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two yeah. words yeah, yeah. Two words. yeah. Um, hand in hand and it just seems like they're getting a free ride at the moment um, they are and they have been for a long time it's, it seems to be like an, we, we need more education I think going forward um, about this and look it's especially look it's good to see that there's alternatives out there that hopefully uh, we can um, see once more pressure is put on the industry to put them there I, I, I said it to before your time as well as in the same way the EU is banning the uh, you know diesel engines you know pet- petrol engines in 2030 if the eu decided next year to say by the way in 2030 we're banning all um open net you know sea open farming pen. you know open pen farms if they decided to do it that would be it you know yeah the alternative would be found like the the alternative would be found and 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 it would be found quick because People are very good at finding ways to make money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, money's exactly. cropped up again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
oh, we just have to stop doing this and do this instead to make money. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Let's do okay, that. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah no, I'll probably do that. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing how it works. Um, Elvar, tell us how did you get involved with the NASF? Um, just tell us a bit about your own background and involvement. Uh, Ori Wifusson, who was the founder of NASF, you know, he, he I, I knew him a little bit through my through my father when I was a kid. Um, my father was in, in, in involved in some of the work that he was doing, and so I, I followed it pretty closely. And and then when uh, when I was old enough to guide on some of the salmon rivers here in Iceland, uh, it was Ori who first gave me a shot there, um, and we became close friends. And and uh, then when I was making my way through life. Uh, uh, studying psychology uh, at the university, I was doing uh, statistical analysis <laughs> for NASF, uh, and and then you know it just kind of had a snowball effect, and and uh, I, you know I started doing a lot more work uh, with Ori. Then of course uh, he sadly passed away in 2017, and and there was a bit of a bit of a gap in all of this. You know he was a he was he was a very unique. He was a bit of a bit of a one man army. Uh, and, and it was up to a handful of people that had known him well and worked with him to kind of pick up the pieces and, and map this out, you know, how, do, how do we continue? Uh, and, 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 and that's what we did. Uh, and, you know, I'm very happy to say that, that now, uh, five, well, almost six years after his passing, you know, we're, we're, we're getting really strong again. You know, we have, we have NASF chapters in, in various different countries that are all of them active. Uh, we're, we're, you know, fighting fish farming. We're, we're buying up unsustainable fisheries. We're, uh, assisting groups with, with, uh, you know, restoring habitat. All, all these, all these main emphasis of the NASF are, are in full effect. Um, and I've been working full time for, for the fund for almost three years now. It was obviously a vacuum after Ori's death. Um, and I think it's probably... For such characters, you can't expect somebody to just become Ori version two. Yeah. You know, he was one of a kind. So maybe in the sense of you just have to fill that vacuum in other ways, you know, through collective kind of work, maybe you think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that that I I I heard that so many times after he passed away. Oh, so are you the new Ori? Or you know, who is the new Ori? <laughs> uh and and you know, there there will never be another 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 Ori. I mean, he was he was a he was a force of nature, you know, and, and he was, he was doing very unique salmon conservation work when, when there was none really. Uh, so, you know, am I or somebody else, the, the, the new orient? No, not, not at all, but we are doing everything that we can to, to make sure that the emphasis and the, and the goals of NASF stay the same. And, and it's a, it, you know, it's it's not just different people. It's just a different world as well. You know, when Ori passed away, there was hardly a fish farming industry in Iceland. You know, so so the everything around us has changed so much as well. Elver, so you used to guide. Yeah. You don't guide anymore now. I just don't have the time anymore. <laughs> Too busy fighting the fish farm. Fight, yeah, exactly, the exactly. Fight the fight. Well, fair play to you for fighting the fight. And uh, when you guided, was it salmon? Yeah, mostly, mostly. A little mostly. bit of trout, but mostly, mostly salmon. Yeah. And do you miss it? I, I do. Yeah. Because I'm I, a guide. That's why I'm asking you. Oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, do you miss it? I don't. You're usually tearing your hair out at the end of the season. Like. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, no, that's, that's routine, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then about, at then the about end of the two season, days later. At the end about, of the day. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. End of the day. <laughs> and, clients, you know, clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At <laughs> end of the season, you're like, oh, no, this is this was the last season. I'm, I'm done. And then about, never, never about three again. days later, you're like, <laughs> oh, I want to go fishing. I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Worldwide. Oh, God. So, so th- actually, well, that's great because on this show, we always ask one question. So this is away from the NASF now. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if we've told you this. So if, if I put you on the spot, I'm sorry. Um, but you're going to have to answer it anyway. Okay. You, we ask everybody we have on the show what their most memorable fish on the fly was. I, I have an answer for that. I'll ask him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... So I was fishing the big Laxo up north in Iceland, which is uh, known as the sort of the, the river with the biggest salmon in Iceland. Uh, and I have fished it so many times and have not caught a thing. But then every now and then you have these really phenomenal days. Uh, and this was um, about a year after my daughter was born. Uh, and and I, I love uh, tying flies. So I tied this little size 12 double that I thought, you know, if if I catch a salmon on this, I'll name it after my daughter. Uh, and then I was fishing um, a pool called Holmala Stipla, easy name. And I'm fishing a size 10 Colburn Special. And this, this massive fish kind of rolls on the fly. And next cast, he does it again, but never touches it, right? And, and you know, I, I tried a few more casts. And then I thought, you know what? I'll put on the new fly. And first cast, he, he nailed the fly. I mean, absolutely hammered it. And, and I don't know why, but, you know, normally, normally you fish that river with, you know, a 14-foot eight weight or something like that. But I was, I was trying out my new nine-and-a-half-foot seven weight that day. <laughs> and, oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no, right? <laughs> and and this, this fish uh, just went across the entire river. It's a huge river. And, you know, and he was jumping on the other bank and I was way in the backing. I couldn't do anything. And then down towards the, the tail of the pool, there's an island which splits the river in two. And he tried a couple of times to go down the other channel. And there's no way to chase it, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, I just really pushed him as much as I could. And he always came back. But then he went down the channel on my side. So I had to run about 500 yards downriver, you know, as fast as I could. <laughs> and then, then uh, about, um, I don't know, probably 25 minutes later or so, uh, I got him into this little, little cove and was able to land the fish. And that was my biggest salmon. It was, uh, it was 103 centimeters, which is, I don't know, 25, 6 pounds. Yeah. Nice. And uh, on that small, small double and on the wow. seven. So that was, that was a memorable fish. <laughs> and so what's the name of the fly now? Harpa, which uh, Harpa. that's my daughter's name. And that, yeah. that means a uh, harp, you know, like the instrument. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Irish. The, the Irish, the national yeah. instrument of Ireland. Yeah, exactly. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was the other reason. <laughs> God, happy ending all around. Yeah. Well, Elvar Friedrich, Friedrichsen. NASF's program director in Iceland. Um, thank you very much for joining. Some really interesting insights. Uh, I think people are get a lot from that. Didn't realize what it was really like in Iceland in terms of the fish farming industry. Um, but also, hopefully, there's some silver shoots there or some hope for the future in terms of alternatives that are being developed and will and money. 
that's the kind of two things I think I've taken out of this conversation that if we can be pushing people in one direction for the right reasons hopefully fingers crossed we might find a, a sustainable solution but Elvar thanks again for joining us on the show great Elvar it was really good having you on and some fascinating stuff there thanks a million thank you so much our thanks to Elvar Friedrichsen for joining us on the show and don't forget to rate review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.